Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Um, so the title of the message today, I will go to revisiting uh, Psalm, Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday. Is, is today is Palm Sunday for those who do not know. It is Palm Sunday and it's very important, very important in the calendar of the ministry of Jesus Christ, but certainly in the yearly calendar for Christians. It is um, something that we always or often tend to associate with Jesus Christ's triumphant moment. Jesus Christ has been very humble from the beginning. The way Jesus Christ came, he came as a baby, uh, born in a manger, was not in a five-star hotel. He was actually, his mom was suffering on a donkey's uh, back for a, a few hours or days trying to bring him uh, to a destination where she could give birth. Um, so he came into this world, um, a world that was never going to recognize him for who he is. And um, he's been humble from the beginning. He's been humble because he's part of who he is. And Palm Sunday is not just the triumphant entry. There are messages in Palm Sunday that we can never get otherwise than in Palm Sunday. And hopefully, my challenge today is to break it down for you so that you can go home and start thinking about what it took God, what God did for you. Um, It is not just a moment of triumph. It is a moment also of deep learning. But what are the learnings? Let's see what God is saying. Let's open our Bible to the book of Matthew. It's one of the recollections of the story of uh, the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. So in terms of the background, and I will be reading from uh, NKJV version. In terms of the background, so Jesus has, um, has done a few miracles on the way. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Why? He's on his way because he wants to have the last Passover. In his head, he's clear about what awaits him. In his head, Jesus Christ knows the people around him, the people who have followed him, the people who have seen him doing miracles are still not 100% sure of who he is and what he will take him on Good Friday. They don't know. They think it's just stories. They are not 100% sure of how things will unfold. Christ in his head is 100% sure. He knows the sequence. He knows the word is the betrayer. He knows what will happen. Because nothing surprises God. And I want us to remind ourselves that nothing surprises God. So let's open our Bible. Matthew 21. We'll read from one. I read from NKJV. If you have other versions, that's okay. So now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Jesus comes with his disciples and decides to send two of them. He says to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Lose them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send them. Look at the confidence. Look at the knowledge. Jesus knows what will happen. This just to untie a colt and a donkey. He knows what will happen. He knows they will be challenged. So Jesus knows what will happen in a few days later. Sequence by sequence. He sends two disciples because he still believes in the power of obedience. 
because the person that is sending them is no longer just the master. He's the king of kings. Sending them to accomplish the purpose for which he came. And at that point, he speaks with authority. It's not if it pleases you. It says, go. The same go is the same go in Matthew 28. Go into the whole world. It is an instruction from the king. It's not to be taken lightly. Then he goes on and, and they say, verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king. It doesn't say your servant. It doesn't say your prophet. It doesn't say your teacher. Behold, your king. It's Jesus the king. He was foretold. So he's not new in the heavenlies. He's not new in the kingdom of God. He was foretold. Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. I know many times we are being sent on assignment. We are being told by our pastor, by our elders, by our leaders, we are being told to do minute tasks. And we put creativity because we are creative people, and that's fine. But this is not the place to put creativity. The place of execution of authoritative order from the king of kings is not to be played with creativity. They, they did as they were told. Verse 7, they brought the donkey, they brought the coal. They could have said, well, the donkey is enough. They brought the donkey, they brought the coal. Lay their clothes on them and set him on them. Again, question is, why do they have to lay their clothes on the donkey? What is the state of that donkey? Is it very dirty? Is it, is it worthy of the master or is it because the donkey is in a state that it cannot be sat on without those clothes? They don't find anything else is their clothes. It means as they go. That's where the creativity kicks in. Is as they go. That donkey, it cannot, sat, it cannot sit on it as it is. They put their clothes. And if I come and ask you, what, can you give me your clothes? Can you give me your 500-pound uh, M&S jacket or whatever it is? You'll think twice about giving it to me to step on it or to sit on it. Because the purpose of that cloth is not to be sat on. It's to cover. It's to show the way you actually look at fashion and cover you. But for the disciples, it's more than that. They are, are doing it because they are serving. At that point, is a service that they display through laying their clothes on the donkey. Verse 8, a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees, spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude say, this is Jesus. We know him. He's the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Who is this? Coming on a donkey on Palm Sunday. Who is it? Who do we say? Who do people say that I am? He asked this to his disciples, 
And they say, you might be John the Baptist. Some people say, you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. Others say, you are a prophet. Who do people say that I am? And interestingly, in verse 10, and I'm starting by the end, (laughs) when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? They are moved by emotions. They are moved by surprise. They are moved by commotion. A lot is going around them. It's not necessarily sure what is moving them, but they are moved. And they are saying, who is this? What does he mean? They have not heard about him, or maybe not heard enough about him. They are still unsure about who he really is. The person that is coming to Jerusalem, is he coming as a super guest? What is he going to come to accomplish? What's the purpose of him coming to visit us? Who is this? We're not sure. And those who are around, and that's actually where the farce is, is farcical, because they are putting their clothes down. They are singing Hosanna to the king of kings. But to say who it is, they feel miserably because they see the prophet. This is Jesus. Yes, they got the name right. They didn't attach Christ to it. They say, Jesus, we know his name. But they say, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They reduce the deity of Christ as that of a prophet. And they get it wrong. Yet, it is meant to be his moment of glory, isn't it? Now, let me tell you, Christ does not need the glory of a couple of palm branches on the floor. He doesn't need his disciple clothes to be on there. He doesn't need people to sing hallelujah and hosanna to actually have his glory shine through. His glory is his glory. And it shines through because he's God. And because no one, nothing can take it away from him. It is part of who he is. The glorious king of glory. Amen. The glorious king of kings. So we come into a setup where people have an understanding of who Jesus is and they are happy to welcome him with that understanding. I don't think that we can challenge them too much, but we can challenge ourselves today about what it means, ourselves, in terms of Christians in this modern world, around who do we say that the Christ that we are serving is? Who do we really think that Jesus is? Because that moment is ticked forever in the book of life. In the history, it was foretold that this moment will happen. But then this moment will happen irrespective of us understanding. You understand God? Irrespective of us understanding who Jesus is. This moment was always bound to happen. That's why it was foretold. And it is important as we look at the story that we understand that the one sitting on the throne, the one sitting on the throne, the one who came down to stay stay with us, to look at us, to love us, to share a bit of the kingdom with us, is the king himself. It's important that we don't lose that. I want to open a scripture that I want to tie to this scripture today. To this story. Uh, let's go to Matthew 6 33. I think it's not an easy exercise, it's not necessarily connected, but it's my favorite scripture, so I thought let's, let's throw it there. Matthew 6 33. It says, but, it starts with but, 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not righteousness there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does he say? And everything will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. And I think for me it is important to focus on the seek first the kingdom of God. The title of the message, I put a kingdom-focused revisiting Palm Sunday. Why do we seek, why do we need to seek the kingdom of God? Apologies. It's because Jesus Christ, at the time he entered Jerusalem, or he's at Bethphage, is seeking the kingdom of God. He knows, he's crying out his heart that, Lord, let this cup pass away from me. He knows that. He's made that prayer. He knows the, the state of his mind. He knows maybe the anxiety that goes through him. But he's somebody who represents the kingdom of God because he's the king. And he's somebody who wants the kingdom of God and the glory of God and the purpose of God to come to pass. And for that, even his own weakness. As the son of David, son of man, will not come in the middle. He will not allow that because the kingdom's purpose needs to happen. And when I was reading this scripture um, around Jesus coming into, into Bethphage and, and getting to Jerusalem, I thought, okay, fine. I've sat so many sermons on, on Palm Sunday. sat so many of them. Um, glory be to God. And it's all exciting. It's all great. And some churches back in Africa, you know, we have palms, you know, in the church. We put that everywhere. The children are singing, uh, dancing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it's really, really loud. And I mean, you should probably go to Africa to know what I'm talking about. It's really loud. It's very vibrant. People are excited. It's a moment of joy. Let me not forget it. It's first and foremost a moment of joy. But I want to take you from the perspective of Jesus. Because when Jesus goes there, he's not distracted by the people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. He's not distracted by people cutting very quickly. They say, as he goes, then they are cutting the branch. As he goes, they are so spontaneous in the way they want to worship him. He's not faced out by that. Maybe he has, maybe he's mine. The Bible doesn't tell us. Probably delighted that, okay. But he knows he hasn't understood. That he knows. Because the same people well, Hosanna, Hosanna today are the same. Or some of them will say crucify, crucify him tomorrow. It's just a chapter down the line. It's not too far. It's the same crowd. Crucify, crucify him. But today is Hosanna, Hosanna. The Bible said Jesus Christ did not look at men. He did not show miracles to them because he knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew where their hearts were at. So if he knew the hearts, the Bible still tells us that, behold, God cannot be mocked. He cannot be deceived. The Hosanna and the praise the Lord today is not what will satisfy God in the future. What satisfies God is a kingdom-focused heart. People who understand, people who have in their mind the willingness to lay low, to be humble like he was, to be hungry like he was, thirsty like he was for the things of the kingdom. The things of the kingdom are not taught. They are thought. If you think about the things of the kingdom, then you do like me. You procrastinate. If you seek them, you are active about it. You are intentional about it. You go all the way. You do not think about your life. You 
think about Jesus. You do not think about whether it is pleasing you. You think about whether it pleases the king. And at that point, it changes the dynamic. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things will be added unto you. You know what? I was actually looking at that scripture, discussing it with my wife. And she made a comment which I thought, okay, I'll copy-paste. I'll probably not say it the same way, but I will copy-paste that comment because it's worth it. One of the comments she made is like, Jesus, at the time he came, will probably observe, I've observed many people around. He came, first of all, not that he didn't need to understand us. Jesus understood us because he made us, right? Let's get it right. But he came to see how men were going about their business. And he came so that he himself will give the message of the kingdom to these people that he was going to die for. But he would have been there and thought, hmm, they go about their days, they do a number of things. They do not understand how to prioritize things in their life. Right? Because look at this scripture, seek first. It does not say this is the only thing that you need to seek. It's not implying that it's the only thing you need to to seek the kingdom of God. He's saying first, which means order, hierarchy. He says it shouldn't be the last, it shouldn't be in the middle, it shouldn't even be number two, because we think that number two is good enough. It shouldn't be number two. Number two is the first of the failures. Sorry if you are number two in the classroom, but number two is the first who has failed to be number one. That's what it is. If Arsenal comes, hmm, number two, we don't sing, do we? Unless we follow mediocrity. But anyway, seek first, first the kingdom, and after whatever you care of. Because Pastor Phil preached last week about the enemy using the cares of this world as a way to come in and destroy what God wants to do. Right? God is not saying not to have care, but he's saying be careful about what those cares are and what they translate into. The Bible still says do not love the world, not anything in the world. For the love of the world means enmity of God. Enmity of God, right? So he says, you have priorities. And I understand that you've got to work. I understand that you've got to look after families. I understand you've got to look after businesses. I understand that you, you have to care for people. You have to look after things because they won't happen on their own. Christ is mindful of us. That's what the Bible tells. See, Christ is mindful of us. Yet, he will bless us. So Christ is really mindful that we have a number of things that go in our lives. But he's saying, I'm not asking you to forsake those things as long as they are not coming against me. I'm telling you, focus on me first. Because if you do focus on me first, because by the way, I am the kingdom. I am the king. If you do focus on me first, then I who are the maker of the heavens and the earth. I, who is the master. We say majesty. We don't always say Lord, Lord. We say majesty. It means what it means. I can do the things that you have need of. He said, before you come to me, I know what you want. So as you are sitting here today on Sunday, 14th of April, 2019, God knows what each and every one of us wants. He knows. But the same God is saying, these Pack it aside. Put it aside for a minute. Look at the kingdom first. Look at his righteousness. That's more like what we call in French tautology. It's more like, you know, 
is, is the righteousness of the kingdom. You cannot say the unrighteousness of the kingdom. Not when it's heavenly. Not when it's of Christ. What is of Christ is pure. What is of Christ has righteousness attached to it. Now the kingdom, where, we, where are we? We are in the united kingdom, isn't it? We are meant to be united. I don't think Wales and Scotland think the same. But we are meant to be united, right? Okay, sorry guys. We are meant to be in a kingdom. Guess what? The queen reigns, isn't it? Does she rule? Does she rule? Right. So what does it mean about her being the queen? She is queen of a kingdom that she does not rule. Christ coming on a donkey is king of a kingdom where he reigns and and rule is not just a prophet. Verse 11 got it. They got it wrong there. He's the king. He reigns and he rules. So it's important that as we approach and we embrace the scripture that tells us to seek first, to do everything that is within our own possibilities, not to sleep, not to slumber, but to press on, to seek first the kingdom of God, we then have the confidence that as we do so, we will be closer to the kingdom. We will be closer to being the right servant with the right mind for the true king. Because a kingdom without a king is not a kingdom. And a kingdom without servants is not a kingdom. We are saved. We are the children of God. We are the servants of God. So we belong to that kingdom. Jesus is the king. So there is a kingdom. In other books, in other gospels, we see the kingdom of heaven. You know, interchangeably, they, they say kingdom of heaven. I think it's mainly because of Matthew, who, you know, he tends to, to say the kingdom of heaven. It is important to see that it's the same thing. Because some people say, well, we are talking about seeking the kingdom of God. How will I go on doing that? Why should I even do that? God is saying that if you seek me, you will find me. If you hunger for me, you will be filled. That's what God is telling you today. And I tell you what, I'm sure there are some people among us today who come to church, who attend the meetings, but who still are unsure about who this king is. That's why we want to support you. We want to remind you that as you sit in our midst, the God you hear about, the Christ who died, and on Good Friday, we'll actually go through that. Christ who died for you and for me is the Savior, is the one who has given everything for you. And he loves you with a love that is unconditional and that he wants you to respond Because in the kingdom, there are only saved people. And that's the difference. Because in the kingdom, there is no anarchy. How is it that when Jesus was asked about Lord teach us to pray by his disciple, he still articulated one of the fundamental perspectives that he as the king has. I want you, my dear servant, to pray Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, 
I always say angels do the binding of God. They do the binding of God 24-7. They never complain. Maybe that's why we call them supernatural beings. Because they don't have the ability to complain. On earth, it's a little bit chaotic. You know, the yo-yo example. We do serve God and we don't complain. And the next weekend we are tired and we do complain. And then we go up again and we don't complain. And the next thing something happens and we do complain. But God says, in teaching you how to pray, why don't you pray that my kingdom come? Yeah. Yeah. In King's Church. Yeah. In your life. Yeah. In your community. Why don't you pray this? Because that's a very, very good prayer. Why don't you pray it? Because what it means is that you, my subject, my servant, put yourself under my authority, do my binding, but with a different perspective. You do it with the perspective of the things that you do not see are the things that you will see. You just attach faith to it. That the things that you so want are the things that you do pray. You just see the results. That the things that are impossible for men are the things which are possible with me. Because I'm God. And my hand is not shortened and it will always help you. So the care which he's talking about, the food, the drinks, I think he mentioned the clothing that people worry about. And that's Matthew 6, 30, I think from 29, right? The things that we do tend to worry about. I don't think Christ wanted to go to all the list of worries we have. I don't think it would have been beneficial. But let's say that he summarizes it in three. What we wear, what we eat, what we drink. Say, don't worry about any of them. So if I want to be like a Pharisee, I will say, Lord, what about my health? Because it's not part of it. Now, if I don't see that it's part of it, and I have a kingdom's perspective, I don't understand that I'm standing not because I can, but because the grace of God is sufficient. If then something happens in my surrounding for the people I pray for, and it doesn't happen according to my prayer punchlines, I know that God is sovereign, and therefore he rules, and therefore he acts according to what is best in his kingdom. And if I pray for a job and I do not get the job, and if I pray for a spouse and I do not get the spouse, I still know, because I focus on the kingdom, that God has worked all things together for my good, because I know him and because I love him. And therefore, I am confident that it's just a matter of time before I get that which God has for me. Amen. And if things do not happen, I think it's Habakkuk who says that. If things do not happen, if there are no plants, if there are no seed, if there are nothing blossoming, then yet I will still praise the name of God. It is important. You see, today is not just Jesus coming in and people failing to identify him as the king. It's not his moment of glory only. King comes with an agenda that he had from the onset, and he wants that agenda to be a legacy. Because the people who are focused on the kingdom are the people who will be able to enter through the narrow gates. If you are not focused on the kingdom, you can easily miss the narrow gate. And the Bible tells us that it's difficult enough as a journey. So it is important that we help ourselves. The Bible says, God says, my children, my dear children, they do perish. Because of lack of understanding, lack of knowledge. 
They do perish because of that. I have come and I'm there on a donkey and people are singing Hosanna. But I know what is ahead. What is ahead for you and me, according to the kingdom, according to the word of God, is that he has prepared a place for us. What is ahead of him is that the devil and his agents are defeated. That's certainty. What is for the present is not about what we feel. It's about who we are called in Christ Jesus. In the kingdom, according to the Bible of the King of Kings, we are conquerors. We are victors. We are overcomers. But we forget because the cares of this world or the priorities. What are your priorities as you sit here today? God is telling us, put your priority right so that you can be kingdom focused. What are your priorities? We said Christ's priorities was to fulfill what he was asked to do by God. What are your priorities? Is it to raise a good family? Is it to get the best mortgage in town and have the best house, the best room? Is it to raise children? Or is it to tick the box at work or to be promoted? What are our priorities? And where does God sit in those priorities? I think fundamentally, each and everyone needs to be clear when they leave here that our priorities need to be realigned. Because I think we all get it wrong. Me included. We all get it wrong. I mean, I didn't have to struggle by sickness. I would have prepared my message three weeks ago. But God be God. We should think about what we do. And that's the practicalities of Christianity. It's not just in the air. The Bible, you know, they were asking in the tournament, but where, 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 where is the word? He said, the word is very near you. That you can hear it and that you can do it. God, 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 where are our priorities? What, what, what do we need to do here? Show us. And God is saying, the way you treat one another, treat them with love. L-O-V-E. Treat them with love so that people who are not in your circle know that you are my disciple. They don't say you are my followers. Disciple is not just being a follower. You can, I can follow the new doctrine coming in town. I can follow the new man of God or woman of God that comes in town. Doesn't make me that the followers. I come and hear the message. I'm out. You see, disciple. It means I yield. But love one another. Now, what we do not see out of that is when we do not love one another. Somebody comes and asks a meal, and they are rough, and we don't give it to them because they are not dressed like we are. Somebody is hungry and thirsty. And they come to us and we say, we'll pray for you. Somebody is hurting and fail to have friends that they can connect to. And we say, what about your other friends that you used to have last year? We don't try to befriend the person. Somebody has struggled with their families. And we don't ask genuinely about them. Somebody is holding the fort for a ministry in the church. And what we do is we try to hammer the work that they are doing, not supporting. We open our mouth to show our lack of support. 
Because what we can do better? Actually, we know better. Actually, we are more eloquent. Actually, we have experience. In the kingdom of God, it means nothing. When you say, I'll pray for you, then pray for the person. One of the most telling things that we can do is to support one another in love. We encourage the person, but we also go behind and pray. And pray to the king of kings, to the king of the kingdom. He's redundant, but he's the king of the kingdom. And there's only one kingdom I'm talking about. We pray to him to make things happen. And we know, he said, before you ask, believe that you have received. Believe that you have received. And you'll get it. But we pray and we know that we are defeated in our request. We pray and then we have doubts. And James tells us that we are like a wave of the sea. Those thrown and fro. Let not that man or woman ever think they will receive anything from it. Because when you pray, the prayer that Jesus prayed, when you pray with the intensity that which he prays, told his disciples, can you not even watch? He was on his way to the cross. And he said, let's just pray. Do you know how many prayer meetings those guys will have attended? Do you know how many miracles they will have seen through this prayer meeting? But when it matters most, he said, pray, watch. And they all, one after the other, slept off. They couldn't pray. They were weary. And I'm not saying otherwise. Sometimes being Christian, being in the church can be wearisome. But God never said it would be easy. It's certainly rewarding, not from the pastor. Oh, you know, there are other times we worship only when the pastor is there. We raise our hand, we shout hallelujah, speak in tongues, curse the enemy, <laughs> trample on the head of Satan. Pastor Phil need to see that I put my feet today on the enemy. And when his elder Jean, come on. Oh, yes, Lord, we worship you. The servants, he goes. Or the praise and worship leader, oh, it's Caroline today. <laughs> I like roots. <laughs> you know, if we think about worship as an act of the kingdom to glorify the king, we look at it differently. And the church needs to start worshiping with a different attitude. That people come, before they even come, they know the spirit is here. God is there. Something is different in this place. The way we love one another, people will see. It's not just, oh, Aaron has come to do the desk again. Gary has come to do the desk, to do the desk, desk again. And we don't ask about those guys. We don't ask about their families. No. Yes, uh, I think something saying, you know, far from the eyes and far, far from the heart. I think for us it should be the contrary. When we don't see somebody, we should actually panic. We should really be asking, what's happening with that person? And when we see them, we should step out of our comfort zone and our zone of comfort, which means with our friends, and go to them and say, hi, how was your week? Mean it. Because the same God who is not mocked has his spirit in us, and he can give discernment to those that he wants. So let's be real with one another. The church can undo people. The church can break people in the very bad instances of Christianity being practiced. We went on holiday, and we saw this gentleman, and I will name him M, ex-military, served in the Navy, based in Plymouth. He's worked in the financial services as well. He's done a lot of things. He's a very, very gentle guy, very, very good guy, his wife too. 
And um, the first thing he told us when we started having the first interaction, oh, there's something about you two. I was telling me and my wife. Your light, that's what he used, your light shines. Well, you see there is light in there. There's no light. I can't lit a room for crying out loud. But he says, your light shines. And my wife goes and says, I think he is a Christian. It's okay. Anyway, you know, you need to have good discussion with people. When we were leaving, we said, Lord, let us have the best holiday we've ever been. We tried to go abroad. It was in Plymouth and it was great. But then we had a conversation that changed my outlook on church. It was only two days ago. And this guy was a born-again Christian. Gave his life to Christ within a Baptist church, Baptist setting. The rest is very sad. Because where he is, it's not like he's backslidden. Where he is, he's an unbeliever. And what has changed that is the reaction from the church, from brothers and sisters in the church. They've always been saying, hey, let's go on the street. Let's tell the gospel to people. He gave his life to Christ, I think he was around 18, and went for it. Crusade, name it, he went for it. Programs of the church day and night, he went for it with all his heart. And he got there, brought a homeless person at a church meeting. The person was stinky, to say the least. Brought that homeless person that was hungry, dirty, tired. Said, no, my church, my God, who we represent, we will look after you. Come to my church. And it's at that point that the church shows the other side of what it can be sometimes when not focused on the kingdom. None of the elders, none of the pastors, none of the brothers and sisters could give that man a single meal. None. He cried, and it was the first, what we call real life experience in the church. He did what he could. That's, that's on the surface. Later on down the line, he goes to the church. It's a well-known church, and I'm not going to name the church. Goes to the church and gets abused as a young boy. Abused by the senior minister. Goes and reports it. Nothing is done. Many other boys were going through the same treatment. He said, Thank God I had a home to run to. But that home was not the church. And him being abused was the last straw. Turned his back on the church. He didn't turn his back necessarily on God. I think we perceived that there was a little bit of, you know, light in there. And we prayed for him. But that's it. And he says, that's it. I turned my back to God. Why? Because there was no accountability within the church. Because the brotherhood and sisterhood was only within the four walls. And because being the disciple of Jesus means that we couldn't offer a meal to someone who was needy. The Bible says, God is saying, I don't know you. Go away, you workers of iniquity. Then we think, what's happening? Have we not served in your name? Have we not preached sermons that were moving people? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons? Have we not done that in your name? And Jesus say, go away. I've never known you. That's the reality of the kingdom that is not acted upon. Because we can be there every day and we can deceive ourselves. And we can preach with the best eloquence ever or the best word ever. We have talented 
pastor, excellent pastor, great leaders, elders, great operations team. But we are work in progress. And when Christ gets on that donkey and knows that he is about to fulfill his destiny, what he's thinking of is you and me. But he's not thinking about us for what we are. He's thinking about you and I so that we can become dynamic and reach out to other people and bring them in. That's what matters. And Christ said that's what it is. That's really why his kingdom focused. That's why he's not going to allow you and I to be sidetracked. And that's why he said, please seek first the kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. The other things are important, but they are not that important. It's not dismissive. What do we stand as a church on Palm Sunday? Are we going to say, oh, yeah, we we are in the the center of Cambridge and we had another wonderful Palm Sunday? What does it mean? What can you put down for Jesus today? Actually, let's let's look at it. What can you put down for Jesus today? The disciple puts their donkey, their, their clothes on the donkey. What do you want to do for him? In our church, how do we affect people around us? What we say, does does he edify the people around us? Does he encourage people around us? How well are we doing for the kingdom of God? I always say I can't shout, even if I want. My voice doesn't carry it, so please bear with me. But how well are we doing for the kingdom of God? When we look at our Christianity and we have the tag in heaven, this day, this year, saved. It's written. It's in the kingdom, in the archive of the kingdom. Your name and my name. Hopefully you've given your, your life to Christ. Some will give on, again when we baptize. Okay? Tack. The angels pass out. Oh, you know, they, see, they see your name. They see my name. And, oh, yes, yes. But they look down. What do they see? Because we cannot be kingdom focused half-heartedly. It's in or out. It's in or out. We are either, and it's not being for God. The difference is being disciples of God, being discipled and being disciples of God. It's not just having a good doctrine to hear or a good message to have received. Again, I can't redo the message of Pastor Phil last week, but it goes on. We need to steadily move towards the things of the kingdom, which means that when you start looking at each other, please treat each other with respect. When you have your own self agenda, please put that to when let God's agenda come true. You know, there is that song, when I look at the cross, all I see is love, love, love. When I think of the cross, I can't see anything else but the love of God. Now, it should be when I look at me or when somebody looks at me, all they see is the love of God. They can't think of my selfishness. They can't think of manipulation. We have have that limit. What is it that people look at us and see? Because Christ looks at us and says, these are people that are saved. These are people who are mine. I mean, because you're a holy priesthood, you know, holy priesthood, holy nation, royal priesthood, holy nation. These are each and every one of us is part of his kingdom for the purpose which God has called us to do. And even if you don't understand that purpose, we are first called to serve his majesty. So we need to do things differently to actually always remember ourselves that is what God had wanted, is what Christ had wanted. We know that he's the king of kings. We're not going to say that, oh, he's just the prophet. We can call him Jesus, 
And as in the name of Jesus, we know every knee shall bow. But maybe what should bow first is our own selfishness. At the name of Jesus, what should bow is our own self-self-interest. Because it exists. I keep on talking, hammering about forgiveness and unforgiveness. About loyalty, about integrity. If this person had seen just one, just one Christian that was able to offer a meal to this homeless person, if it's in only one person that will have able to, st- to stand up and say, actually, you've been abused, that's it, we are whistleblowing. Only whistleblowing when there are three people missed in the accounts of the church, come on. When three people missing, we whistleblow, mismanagement. But these are the things that Christians should stand for. Because Christ stands for it. He is on a donkey. Christ will come back on a horse. Of fire. With wings. Not on a donkey. He's got a donkey to actually show also maybe that this world is what it is. It's what it is. He could have come. He could have had his armies. He could have sent the best, the best horse ever. But no. He comes on a donkey because he's humble. Please, let's be humble. Let's press on towards that, that thing. There is a purpose in Palm Sunday, which is, is the first step towards Calvary. Right? It's not an easy walk. It's not easy at all. Um, Christ never said it was easy. He never said it would be easy. And you can sometimes identify your trouble with your own Calvary. You know, you have titles, you have situations. You don't know what to do. But it knows what to do. It knows how to encourage you. It knows which way you should go. But you don't ask, you will not get. You will not hear. Don't pray, you will not listen. You will not know what God wants for you and for me. You, not, you, can, you won't be able to give a word for your pastor, for your leader, for your sisters and brothers. It's dynamic. So, I know it's not clap, you have to clap with it. But it's the reality of Christ when he sits on that donkey. In the same chapter, I believe Jesus wept. Depending on the gospel that you read. I don't think he wept because he was going to the cross. <laughs> he probably wept because he was looking how far from the truth are these people. So you will leave today and you can decide to be in the message or the team will do a great work and you can listen to it. Or if you can't even deal with my voice, can you actually look at the scripture and see how God is ministering that to you? Because the kingdom of God is what we are for. To advance it. He said the kingdom of God is within you. But it's also to advance it. We belong to that kingdom. It means that we should look after it as well. And we can only look after it if we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And then to help us realign to the will of God for our lives. Does it make sense? Let's be on our feet and let's, let's pray. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.